1: perfect home sweet home
0: brought to you by toyota let's go places welcome to forward thinking
2: hi there everyone welcome to forward thinking the audio podcast that looks at the future and says do you want to kick it in the front seat or sit in the back seat i'm jonathan strickland I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. <laughs> can you tell I don't share these before I go into them? Uh, we wanted to talk a bit today about Torque, which was a phenomenal movie about motorcycles going really fast. Yeah. did it have Ice Cube? I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I really didn't prepare for this podcast very well. <laughs> you know what? In fact, scrap it. We're going to talk about Torque, the rotational force, instead. Oh, okay. Joe, Well, we can talk
3: in. about that because at least one of us has seen it. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So, uh, we started thinking about this because uh, we saw that uh, video of a pickup truck towing a space shuttle.
2: Yeah, which is huge. I mean, you're uh, literally huge. You're talking about <laughs> literally, you're, huge. You're literally yeah, huge, quite yeah, but, literally. But you're talking about you're talking about a, a standard pickup truck mm-hmm. pulling a the space shuttle, which is enormous and heavy, and
3: uh, right. the fact
2: that a, a a standard truck could do it. Like, how could it? How could it generate the, the, the force necessary to do that?
3: Um, wh- and what is that force? Um, yeah. Of course, the force is something you. <laughs> the force, of course? <laughs> the force, of course, is something you've probably heard about with relation to cars, like, uh, it's torque. Sure, yeah. Uh, but what is torque? Um, and I didn't actually know when I, re- I had to look this up. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> Which not cargo. It's pretty embarrassing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but torque is really fundamental it's something we should know it's rotational force um so if you just imagine that you have like a, a screw or a bolt with a nut on it okay um, and say uh, ice cube has a bolt with a nut on it on his motorcycle right and he wants to unscrew the nut
2: mm-hmm.
3: um so he gets a wrench out and he puts the wrench on the nut and he pushes the wrench what The force he's generating there is called torque. It's rotational force. So it's force going around a fulcrum involving a lever. Gotcha. And the way you'd calculate um, torque is by multiplying the force you're applying to the wrench by the length of the wrench.
2: I see. So um, by by changing the length of the wrench, you change the amount of rotational force, even right. if you are pushing the same amount. So if you have a shorter wrench and you're pushing – You're exerting a certain amount of force on it versus a longer wrench and exerting uh, that same amount of force on it. Mm -hmm. It's a different amount of torque,
3: right? If you can, let's say, Ice Cube can apply two pounds of pressure to the wrench. Okay. Um, If he has a one-foot wrench, that's two foot-pounds of pressure of of torque that he can put on that nut. But if he has a nine-foot wrench, that's eighteen foot-pounds of force that he can of torque that he can apply to the nut. Um, So obviously having a longer lever gives you a great advantage. I see. Um, and this actually comes in when you're talking about transmissions and gears in right. cars. Um, so how does torque figure into a car? All
2: right, so torque in the sense of a vehicle. Uh, you know, vehicle's engine is all about generating torque, and it does it in a very kind of indirect uh, way, in a sense, because, uh, you know, you got an engine going, you've got an combust- internal combustion engine going. Uh, the main... Energy, the main power that you're generating, you're moving these pistons in and out of cylinders, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's called a reciprocating uh, motion. So it's just going up and down, but you have to translate this into rotational motion. So those pistons are connected to a crankshaft. And a crankshaft, its job is to rotate. It, it takes that reciprocating motion and translates it into the rotational motion. That is what powers the rest of the drivetrain. And that's ultimately what's going to make the wheels turn. But to get there, we have to go through some uh, interesting uh, turns here. So the crankshaft connects to something that's called the, uh, the flywheel. The flywheel is connected to a uh, clutch plate, and the clutch plate is connected to hand bone and the hand bone is connected to the <laughs> finger bone. No, no, no. The clutch plate is connected to a pressure plate and that's where, uh, we are allowed to shift gears without everything grinding to a halt.
0: Uh, right. In a manual transmission car, that is where the clutch connects. When you, when you depress, when, when, when you press in on the clutch, that is, uh, Actually, disconnecting the engine from the entire transmission.
2: Right, right. It lifts that pressure plate so that you no longer are getting power from the engine delivered to the drivetrain. Because otherwise, all those gears that are in the rest of what I'm about to describe would be turning, and uh, and the the shifting would be very messy to the point where you could cause huge amounts of damage to your vehicle. That's why you know using the clutch in a manual transmission is so important. Automatic transmissions, it all takes care of that for you, assuming everything's working correctly. Right. Alright. So you've got the flywheel and you've got the clutch plate and everything. That, that's in turn is connected to what's called the gear shaft, which continues, uh, transmitting the, this rotational force.
0: Or the lay shaft.
2: The lay shaft is connected to the gear shaft. So you've got gear shaft going into lay shaft. The lay shaft has lay shaft gears on it. Uh, these are gears that are directly connected to the lay shaft. And you start off with, uh, some small gears on the lay shaft and they get progressively larger as you go down the, the lay shaft. Uh, keep in mind I'm just kind of describing a typical uh, manual transmission vehicle here. They are they do come in different uh variations, but so you've got that small gear on the end and they get progressively larger as it goes on. You have a second shaft that's near this lay shaft. It's called the main shaft, all right? The main shaft also has gears on it. The gears go from large to small and they interconnect with the the lay shaft gears. Now, here's the thing. If all of those gears were turning at the same time, you wouldn't have any way of shifting gears, right? They would all be... It would be a single speed. It would be a single speed, yeah. You would You would have one single range of motion you could go in before you started to burn out your engine. So in order to uh, have those gears turn freely without necessarily turning anything else in the vehicle, those gears are all mounted on ball bearings. Right. So they can turn... Uh the, the, the lay shaft gears can turn and turn and turn. The main shaft gears will turn, but they're not turning the main shaft itself. The main shaft can remain completely still while those gears are turning around and around because they're just mounted they're on just ball bearings. They're just floating on it. Yeah, yeah. They, exactly. They're floating. It. Thank you, Lauren. And then you have what is called the dog clutch or dog collar, which engages the side of these uh, – Main shaft gears. The main shaft gears have these holes along the side of the gear. The dog clutch or dog collar has these teeth along the side of it, and when that connects to the gear, uh, the the turning motion of the main shaft gear translates over into turning motion on that uh, dog clutch or dog collar which then provides the rotational force necessary to move further down the drivetrain, ultimately ending at the tires.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, these, these dog collars are what are connected to your gear shift in, for example, a five-speed manual car. Um, and and that's, uh, that's what you're engaging with to... Uh, right, to, to, to connect all of the shafts together right. and get that and, power out. And
2: only one dog clutch or dog collar is engaged at any one time, right? So if you're in first gear... That A dog clutch is in that first mainshaft gear, and uh, because the mainshaft gear is large and the lay shaft gear is small, that lay shaft gear is turning at more rotations per minute. And that's uh, quite a bit of speed, but it's then translating that to a larger gear, which decreases the speed, you get fewer rotations per minute, but it increases the torque, That's where you get the torque in those low gears, and the important part of the torque at low gears is that you're trying to move a vehicle from a still position to being in motion, and that takes a lot of force.
0: It's like like using a longer-handled lever.
2: Exactly, yeah. If you've got a really heavy vehicle, then you're going to need a good amount of force to get it moving. But once it gets moving and once it starts to uh, to hit uh, its its top speed in that gear, you need to shift to a higher gear in order to make sure you're not making the engine work too hard. It's just going to start burning out otherwise. And so that's when you would, in a manual transmission car, press on the clutch. You would disengage the drivetrain from the engine. You would be able to then shift from one to two. The dog clutch would disengage from the first main shaft gear and engage the second main shaft gear. Uh now you have a dog clutch between every couple of gears, so between one and two, between three and four, and between five and reverse. Reverse is a little different because you actually have to have a third smaller gear in between the main shaft gear and the lay shaft gear to reverse the rotational the direction. direction. Mm-hmm. And, and you also have a, a another ge- set of gears further down the drivetrain that ro- that changes the uh, rotational direction for the tires to work. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, you would be trying to put – trying to turn the tires in a direction that's not aligned with their actual uh, – uh, the way they're mounted in a car. Mm-hmm. So you have to you use – You need a
3: rear differential too. That's exactly, yeah. You have to yeah. move independently.
2: That's true as well. Yes, all of that is important for it to work. And what we just described really is a – Manual uh, five-speed manual transmission rear-wheel drive car. But there are lots of different variations of this that uh, have different layouts. And, in fact, an automatic transmission is different in that all of these different gears, these gear – and when you're talking about the small gear to the large gear, that's why we're talking about gear ratios. Uh, with an automatic transmission, all those gears are located within one Device essentially, and it is a little difficult to describe without visual uh, representation, but it's the same process that more or less that's going on with a manual transmission. It's just that they're all those gears are located in this one thing. It's really awesome the way it works. But it's almost impossible for me yeah, to describe yeah. I've, without pictures.
0: The, the, the furthest I got was that it kind of looks like that thing from Event Horizon. And then I just, my brain shut down. <laughs> yeah.
2: that's, I, think that's, I think that's important for everyone. And if you don't recognize that, you need to go out and watch Event Horizon. In the dark, by yourself, preferably.
3: It's amazing that the
2: entire
3: drivetrain of a car, with all of the complicated parts it has in it, is just m- taking a twisting motion from one place to another.
2: And it's yeah. also having to translate that twisting motion to different directions, right? Yeah. because because oh, yeah,
3: you'll have rear differentials, right?
2: And, yeah, you get to a point where, yeah, you get to a point where you need to translate that rotationary force so that it will turn uh, tires in such a way that it'll move the vehicle, and that means actually shifting the direction of the the ro- the rotating motion, uh, which you do with more gears. It's just a a different alignment of gears to uh, make sure that the tires are are turning. Uh, properly otherwise they would uh they you, you your car would just not work yeah. it, would, it wouldn't wouldn't the wheels wouldn't turn because the the rotational force would not be in the right direction so uh
3: i've heard people make the distinction between torque and horsepower um and apparently that's kind of a a gearhead distinction to make but essentially the way it comes down to it in practical use is you would often describe like a very powerful truck or something like that as being torque heavy, having strong torque because it's good at um, getting the ball rolling. Like you can move a huge load to a slow roll. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but usually you'd hear horsepower more often uh, talking about like a very, a powerful engine, like in a sports car
2: or something. Yeah. Yeah, That's um, not unusual
3: at all. That can deliver work uh, over time and distance. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. That's accurate I would say. I think that I think you summed it up well. Uh yeah. <laughs> now
3: uh, feel free to write in if you know more about cars than I do. <laughs>
2: oh, they're going to be writing in about my uh my uh, uh summary cuz I, I oversimplified and I think I probably used crankshaft at least once when I meant gearshaft. shaft. But uh that's because I was Glancing at my notes hurriedly, right, uh, right, and I'm not a and I'm not a car guy. <laughs> also, but
0: also, also, technically, the the gear shaft is usually called a, a lay, lay shaft. Lay shaft,
2: that's true. So, it's a lay yeah. shaft. The gear shaft's attached to the lay shaft, which has the lay shaft gears. Yeah.
3: So we're but we're here to talk about the future.
2: Okay.
0: Right. Yeah. This is this is all this is all how engines have been basically working since the early 1900s. So. But right.
3: I, I thought this topic was kind of funny because I started to think about it and. What on earth is the future of torque? I mean, are we, engines in the future will be so strong they will turn the wheels really hard? They'll well, be much like, bigger. I think <laughs> I
2: think that's part of it though. I mean, you look at some of the enormous vehicles that we have we have designed over the years, like some mm. of the truly enormous ones. Yeah. Things like the the stuff that has to move rockets and space shuttles like the 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 huge ones that go at a snail's pace crawling toward the launch pad carrying an entire launch vehicle on them these things have to generate huge amounts of torque in order to be able to move across the ground Mm. you know so we wouldn't have been able to do that a hundred years ago and part of that is not just i mean the the very the very nature of torque is not going to change right that's a fundamental thing. <laughs> I, I hope not. What's the
3: future of pushing?
2: But but it's but it's our ability to generate that that changes, and that's based upon making stronger engines and building stronger materials that can withstand this huge amount of force that we apply to them in order to translate that into torque. So there is a future. Mm-hmm. It's just we're talking about improving mechanical processes rather than uh, like the the torque itself remains unchanged because that's just a fundamental thing.
0: Right. right. Uh, it's also about the efficiency of an engine because, um, uh, you know, right now automatic transmissions might have um, up to up to eight gears, about, up to eight speeds working in them. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they're constantly developing these more and more complex automatic transmissions. Right now, uh, nine and ten speeds are the next big thing that's being expected to debut in uh, – 2014 or so.
2: And um, that's that's important because it does keep the engine from having to work too hard uh and it also makes those those transit transitions from one speed to the next much more smooth.
0: Right. It just it it allows the engine to work within its uh optimal parameters.
2: Excellent. It's happy place. It's yeah. happy place. Yeah, so so that way the engine's always operating exactly where it best works and not it doesn't have to do too much Work to go from one gear to the next. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to operate in the red for too long in order for it to switch from one gear to the next. It could
0: gear. it could wind up saving gas mileage by five to ten percent just is, going up
2: one gear. That's so. that's fantastic, not only for a person's checkbook or whatever or their wallet, but also for the environment. So,
3: so I, I was curious. I, I asked a friend of mine who works on cars and who does know about cars what some of these advances might have been uh, in the you know in recent decades, or maybe not even that recent, but just in the history of cars that have made them generate more torque. Um, and he gave a couple of examples that I thought were interesting. One thing he suggested was possibly a fuel injection.
2: Okay, that, sure.
3: Uh, the way the the it injects fuel, like ionized or
2: yeah. that, uh, atomized. Atomized, I mean, not ionized,
3: yeah. but yeah. Uh, atomized fuel, uh, it uh, that helps the pistons generate more torque when they explode yeah um and he also
2: internal combustion not external combustion
3: right he mentioned um more more precise machining tolerances Mm -hmm. and that was interesting to me just the idea that um you know as as our factories get smarter and and our ways of making engines get more and more precise you're having a tighter fit between the piston and the cylinder sure um just
2: because I guess we're better at manufacturing can, these yeah. now.
0: Right, mm-hmm. right, we're not. They're, they're machine operated or machine made rather than human made. And yeah, so.
2: The computer design can be far more precise than what uh, yeah. a person would be able to. At, to at create. this point, yeah. And, uh, and uh, this
3: really close fit apparently enables the engine to generate more force.
2: And we could see other applications of torque. Uh, in the future. One of the things we talked about were space elevators, this idea of a a vehicle that climbs a ribbon that reaches all the way out into space. Clearly, you would have to have a vehicle, uh, some sort of climbing vehicle that would be able to generate quite a bit of torque to climb such a ribbon. So that would be another future application of it. It's uh, not necessarily that we don't have the the climbing technology right now that could uh, do this, we might very well be able to make such a vehicle. It's the tether that's giving us the real sticking problem with that one. Yeah. But uh, well, we've but got that, a whole
3: other episode about yeah, that.
2: Yeah, yeah. But that's um, a but that's a possible uh, you know future use of or application of torque.
3: Well, it's just um, right now when we go to space, we only have one way to do it, and it's funny because when you think about it, there aren't really all that many different ways we know about to make something go
2: right well um, and and once we get into space, there are a few more options we have, but getting to space is you know it's pretty much you need a you need a rocket
0: here on earth uh, that rotational force is really the most useful thing um wh- whether you're talking about tires or or tank treads or
3: well, it's so easy mm-hmm. yeah, um, I mean there's no reason to have a rocket powered car unless you just want to get in the Darwin awards
2: <laughs> yeah, or you have an award winning uh series on discovery yeah
3: or or <laughs>
2: Or uh, or if you're Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> or, yeah, if you want to get into the eighth dimension, yeah. where are we going? Dimension X, when we get there? Real soon? Yeah.
3: <laughs> anyway. But um, so I started to think about what are all the different ways that you can make something go, that you can power a vehicle? Okay. Um, so obviously there is friction, and and uh, if we're talking about going into space, that could be relevant in terms of space elevators. Like you, you just have – uh, a climber vehicle, it rolls up a tether or something right. like that. And that wouldn't necessarily be limited to Earth. You could have that coming off of any moon or, um. Space station? Other, yeah. Anything yeah. like that. Um, but then once you're in space, you, you got trouble because you can't roll.
2: I, you have never seen me roll in space, man.
3: Well, you can, you know, you can, you can roll, <laughs> but you can't, you can't. You can't use friction. You can't, you can't use friction.
2: That's fair. I can't drive. You're right.
3: Um, no, you can't. Uh, so, so what no, are the ways? Can. Yeah. So we we have modern rockets are what's known as a reaction drive, right? And they move by throwing something with mass out the back of them. Um, right. Yeah. So. You're, you're
2: burning. You're burning chemicals to blow stuff out the back, which then pushes you forward. That equal and opposite reaction deal, where you've got the uh, you know, either it's you know liquid or solid chemical rockets that are just burning through this fuel. Uh, not. I mean, it'll move you really quickly. But it also weighs a lot, and it's hard to get that stuff uh, off the planet and still have enough to Do
1: buzz around else. in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, the nice thing about space is that once you start generating a good amount of speed, nothing's really slowing you down until you start encountering other things like gravity or if there are enough particles to uh, exert friction on you. Right. That'll Make you slow over time, but
0: much less than say in Earth's atmosphere.
2: Right. So, uh, so yeah, you've got that. You also have gravity. I mentioned gravity. Yeah. Uh, you can use gravity to help uh, help you propel you distances in space, but you have to plan your trajectory very precisely in right. order for that to it's work. That slingshot
0: mm. kind of action. That's that exactly the
2: mass driver things. Well, also the Voyager spacecraft used gravity. They used yeah. the gravity of the outer planets to propel them. Toward the uh, edge of the solar system, which they are oh, still heading toward. I see what you're
3: saying. The slingshot mode. Sorry, I didn't catch that at first. Yeah. like you go around the sun and it throws you out of orbit. Or, or, or yeah, you're not or going or, com- or not, or not if going completely around. Really close. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You have to you have to plan your trajectory just right so that. You are going right, you're getting the influence of the planet's gravity, but not so much that it's actually pulling you toward the surface. It's just enough to sling you a little bit in whatever direction you want to go. You
0: you spend a very, very short amount of time um, uh, traveling with the planet in its rotational direction, and then you use the speed of that planet, A, moving through space, and B, its rotational direction to slingshot you off.
2: Yep. And the Voyager spacecraft used that in order to both visit all the planets they needed to, and then to move toward interstellar space. Which they're still heading toward.
3: That's really smart. You know, there are also there are reaction drives that aren't chemically based. Mm-hmm. Like they're not caused by setting something on fire and shooting exhaust out. You can have electrical reaction drives that, like ion thrusters. Ion thrusters,
2: uh, sure. Yeah,
3: that are that are throwing. Particles at the back.
2: Right. And you can have uh, sails, solar sails.
3: Yeah, that's an interesting one I uh, wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, they harness both the solar wind and just the radiation pressure exerted right. by the sunlight. Right,
2: because the particles that the sun blasts out actually don't have mass, or at least we say they are massless, but they have something called relativistic mass. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Does, uh, does that basically mean
0: that we need this thing for math to work, so therefore...
2: No, no, no. Well, kind of, but it really means that that photons have momentum. And because we have already defined momentum as mass and velocity, we sort of need them to have mass for it to make sense. But it, in that sense, yes, it's so that the math makes sense. But it, to get more into it, we would have to go all quantum. And uh, honestly, I haven't had enough sugar to get there. So anyway, you could argue that photons have no mass. It makes it easy, especially when you're talking about the wave-like uh, uh, properties, f- properties yeah. of, of photons. But in a, in a sense, they do have a mass. It's a relativistic mass.
3: Whatever way you explain it, they push.
2: They definitely do because there's a great uh, video on YouTube about how much does a shadow weigh, which is really the idea that when you, when you have cloud cover over the earth and no sunlight is hitting that part of the earth, it's actually weighing a little less. Because it doesn't have the pressure of the the photons hitting the the planet. Yeah. Heavy, huh?
3: Well, we talk about radiation pressure in an upcoming video that I'm very excited about. Yeah, me
2: too. Um, I'm excited because I've already shot that video. Mm. I'm I'm (laughs) excited to to learn
0: Uh, about it in the near future. Well, Mm -hmm.
3: but this is cool. You could actually make a sailboat in space. Basically, you just spread out a big old sail to just let the sunlight push you and the solar winds, the the particles coming out of the upper atmosphere of the sun. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are more ways to get around in space than I would have thought.
0: It's uh, it's a lot easier to do.
2: Just getting out and pushing. Scotty had to do that once or twice with the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't like to talk about it. <laughs> well, I doesn't mean- doesn't reflect well on him being an engineer and all. Okay, guys, we're gonna wrap up this discussion. Before we do, we want to address something that went out on our previous podcast on Wednesday, May 15th, 2013 about bacterial, uh, uh, well, bacteria that can do different stuff.
3: Yeah, if you heard an early, uncorrected version of that podcast, you may have heard us claim that, uh, that bacteria is integral to the production of beer. Well, turns out that's not so much the case, and we really should have known better. Um, In fact,
2: in fact, we both did know better. But for some reason, our brains just clicked off at that point. Yeah. As it turns out, it's not bacteria that produces beer. It's yeast,
3: yeast, of course, which is a fungus, not a bacterial spore. Right. And so the uh, version of the podcast that exists now stands corrected. But in case you heard one of those earlier versions, we wanted to make sure uh, to set things right. Yep. Um, so, uh, don't go disagreeing with your home brewing friends. Uh, they're, they're right. Yeast is a fungus.
2: Yes. And, uh, it's still a microorganism. It's still something that's taking, uh, one substance and emitting another that we find very useful. So in that way, it's similar to, but apart from that, very different organisms. So I'm glad we managed to clear that up. Uh, hopefully we haven't caused too much damage along the way. Guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, stuff that we should really tackle and discuss, you know, things about the future that really have you excited, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at discovery.com or go to fwthinking.com. That's our website where we've got the blogs, we've got the podcasts, we've got the videos, we've got social media get in touch with us and be part of our conversation we really look forward to hearing from you and we'll talk to you again really soon
0: for more on this topic and the future of technology visit forwardthinking.com brought to you by toyota let's go places
1: what do the most successful growing businesses have in common they're working together in slack slack is where work happens with all your people data and information in one ai powered place grow your business in slack visit slack.com to get started hey guys back at the
0: playground again huh
1: yep you know what this playground could use a wine country heck yeah and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, ten a girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge.